so to get in um, costume for my message, I need to, I have other wardrobe, but this is the latest and newest wardrobe I got so that I can kind of relive my Nepalese time frame. So I'm, I'm thinking of trying to make these hats popular in the U.S. I've got some more. If any of you want one, let me know. I can give you one. Uh, this is their traditional hat. This is a gift. Every church you go to, they give you a gift, whether it's scarf, whether it's some kind of little vest, usually it has a pattern that is significant to their tribe. And so this hat, I don't know what tribe it is, but the pattern is significant to their tribe. It's like it is squeezing my skull right now, so I'm not going to leave it on the whole time. But this was a new gift that I got. This was a traditional Nepalese weapon. If you are in the Nepalese military, you get one of these weapons. You're wondering how I got it home, aren't you? Well, I was supposed to be home days ago. I was arrested. They let me out, and no, I wasn't arrested. I hid it in my, I, took, I put it in my check-on luggage, and I had like two nice-sized bags of dirty laundry. I shoved it in that dirty laundry, and I just prayed, God, don't let anybody see it, and I'd like to get it home. This is called a kukri, and this is, there's a belt loop on it, so I'm actually thinking about taking it deer hunting with me this year, and then when I kill my deer, I can gut it with this thing. Uh, so if I am, go back to Nepal and I'm conscripted into their army, at least I will be prepared. But that was a gift that they wanted to give me for coming. That's kind of what they do is they just try and bless you in some way by giving you gifts. And that was one of them. And I'm glad it made it home with me. Um, I want to share a couple of things. I'll have some pictures. Uh, if you were part of, if you're not, if you don't know, I'll just inform you. I was in Nepal because that's part of my other job. I have two jobs, pastoral ministry here at Grace Church and Director of Global Ministries for our denomination, which means I have to travel sometimes. That's why I was away. And so I got the opportunity to go visit our churches in the EC Church in Nepal. I do have a Facebook page. The Global Ministries has a Facebook page that when I'm on these trips, I, I use to update everybody back here at home. So if you didn't get a chance to follow me along, if you like us on Facebook at Global Ministries Community, You'll get to see a bunch of pictures, you'll get to see a bunch of videos, and that's all just trying to help people back here uh, experience a little bit of what we're doing in that part of the world. So what I have today is just some more pictures, not all the same as what I've already shown, but it's certainly not all of them, and we don't have enough time to tell all the stories about it. But there's two specific stories I want to share, and then just something God showed me while I was there um, on that trip. And it actually, I think, connects very well with what I've been preaching on and what David shared the last two Sundays I was gone about being disciple makers. You would have heard the Great Commission read for you. Uh, you talked about it might cost you something to be a disciple. All those things are put together in this message as well, in which disciple making doesn't just happen here in our community. It actually goes to the very ends of the earth. And there were times I felt like I was there, the ends of the earth. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, 
already talked about Jesus' story. We follow Jesus around in Luke's gospel and heard about the kingdom that Jesus inaugurated in his coming. And then we heard that Jesus tells his disciples to go into the world and to make disciples of all the nations. Well, here in the book of Acts, we're hearing that repeated again before Jesus ascends to heaven. He's with his disciples again. But Jesus says something very important, that our doing this is not in our own power or strength. Our ability to bear witness to who Jesus is comes as we receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And we read about that in the book of Acts. We call that Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit descends on the church, Jesus sends his Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that empowered the ministry of Jesus is now empowering the ministry of the church, the body of Christ. And Jesus says that you're going to bear witness. That's where we get the word martyr. Uh, I know David talked about some of those folks, those martyrs, those who gave their very lives bearing witness to this good news, to the inauguration of this kingdom. And you're going to do that in your hometown. That was Jerusalem where these guys lived. They did it in their hometown. They did it in the surrounding area of Jerusalem in Judea, Samaria. That's like the state, county that they lived in, the area geographically that they lived in. And Jesus says, you're actually going to do this to the very ends of the earth. And then all of the disciples went different places to spread this good news. And it's gone all the way to Nepal. That this good news has spread all the way to the Nepal of what Jesus has done. And it kind of feels like you're at the ends of the earth. At least the, the drive that we have to take, a couple of the places we went. Uh, what would take us like a half an hour here in the United States takes like two hours to get to where we're going. On very bumpy roads. If you get car sick, you would have been puking your guts out because you would not have lasted in this car ride. But this is not a car ride. I'm on a plane at this point with this picture, and I am flying by Mount Everest. And when you're going by these, the Himalayas and these huge mountains, you kind of can feel that ends of the earth, that people have gone here to this place to share the good news. Now, one of those mountains is Mount Everest. We asked the, the lady, the flight attendant on the plane, which it was, she's like the third one in the middle. We're like, what, what does that mean? Like, we see all these mountains and I don't know if they actually know or they just like that one over there. So one of those mountains is Mount Everest, okay? So you can just trust me, I'm not sure which one. Whatever one looks biggest, that's the one that's Mount Everest. So we flew by those mountains going southeast to where our final location was after what felt like an eternity of travel. But here's where we kind of felt like we're going to the ends of the earth. And even at the ends of the earth, you're welcomed by brothers and sisters who believe in Jesus and love him. So this is the EC Church of Nepal, their headquarters uh, this is where Reverend Janga and his wife Mercy live and their family. That's Reverend Janga there, and that's his wife Mercy. Uh, this is where his church is. This is where they do a lot of their, their training, what they would classify kind of as seminary. Many of the people in the, that are leading the EC Church in Paul cannot read or write, uh, some of the pastors. Uh, this is where they actually started with an orphanage. They only have a few boys left and a 
a little girl as a part of this orphanage, but this is where they live. Whenever you go to Nepal and India, the way that they honor you is by giving you garlands. And these are marigolds. Those orange-looking flowers are marigolds. And they just string them all together, and they really want to honor you. And so they, they put as many as they can around your head. Fortunately, I'm not allergic to flowers, plants, and pollen uh, because it was getting pretty heavy. I did eventually take all of those off, but that's their way of welcoming you. They are trying to honor you in some way for making the trip and traveling there. And it's just amazing to me that wherever you go, you see God's people, even to the ends of the earth. Now, this is, um, I remember growing up in Lancaster County, where as far as the eye can see is cornfields. Uh, maybe if you grew up Lancaster, Lebanon County, we have cornfields here, but it's not the same. Where I graduated from high school is cornfields this way, cornfields that way, pig farm over here. Uh, in Nepal, this is all rice. It's just fields and fields as far as the eye can see. And the amazing thing is when you're driving through these fields, and that's all you see, is rice fields. Uh, it was beautiful weather, clear blue sky. It was like 80 degrees every day. Um, so I was able to wear my flip-flops every day. I'm pleased about that. Uh, that's why it was weird coming home here, and it's like 80 degrees here. It's like I'm still in Nepal. And it was just a beautiful scene, and all you see is rice fields, and then out of nowhere pops up this meager little structure that was their church. That building is completely made out of tin. It's a temporary structure. Um, they are trying to raise money to build a permanent structure. But all you see is rice fields, and then all of a sudden, there's this building, and at this building is a group of people gathered there, and the reason they're there at this building is because they all believe in Jesus. And this is one of the churches that we inaugurated that didn't exist uh, a few years ago. This is the back end of the building. Again, left and right is all rice fields. Uh, that first step's a bit of a doozy coming out of that back end of the church, but in the rainy season, I'm not sure what happens. That's all tin. So when it rains, I can't believe they hear anything when they're in that, that building. So they're trying to build something better than that, but that's where we had a worship service. I cut the ribbon. We walked in, and there again, if you ever travel to this place, you will find the body of Christ. Jesus' representation on this earth, what feels like the ends of the earth, Jesus is there being represented by these Nepalese people. So we walked in and had a worship service. The name of the church is Cana Fellowship EC Church. Uh, young and old there worshiping in Nepal. Guys sit on one side, girls sit on another side. Uh, and it's young and old. There is quite a bit of dancing, oftentimes with uh, worship. Uh, that gentleman there in the center is doing a little dance. I did not put any video or pictures of me dancing or my traveling partner Nathan dancing. It's not pretty to watch two white dudes that don't know how to dance. And they make us do it because I think they have fun with it. We are a spectacle for them. And so we do it anyway. We have fun with it and we dance with them. Uh, but due to my self-respect, I don't show those videos. Uh, I'm sure I'll be blackmailed at some point and you'll see them. 
But that's what they do, young and old. They have the little girls there. This one is, Charis is her name. That's the Greek word for grace. She's one of the little orphans at uh, Jenga and Mercy's home. Uh, She was born in a local hospital, and I don't know if the mother didn't want her, couldn't afford to have her. Not sure they brought her to Jenga and Mercy's house, and they took her in. Uh, She was just a baby when I was there last time, and now you can see she's growing up to be a beautiful little girl. So we are there worshiping together. And the story I want to share about that is I learned something through uh, my trip that helped me because I often think to myself, the same thing I'm doing here Sunday after Sunday, I open this book we call the Bible and I preach from it. And I think to myself, God, am I accomplishing anything? Am I really doing anything? And now I'm going to a different country. I don't have much to give them. There's lots of need in that country. Whatever I have is like a drop in the bucket of the kind of needs that they have to the extent where they have lots more orphans than than we have. But there's so much need there. And so I opened my Bible and I shared this, this passage a couple of weeks ago from the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, we've been talking about the body of Christ. We talked about what it means to be a disciple, how we're called to make disciples, and how that is something we all do together. That's not just something the pastor does or the missionary does or the paid church staff does. That's something we all do together. And so we've been highlighting and emphasizing the body of Christ because we know Christ's body is not here. That Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is just before Jesus leaves. He is physically not present with us right now. He is with God the Father in heaven. Yet we are called the body of Christ. Jesus' presence now on planet earth is us. And so Jesus isn't physically present in this village surrounded by ice or rice fields, but he is present in this church, this body of Christ that gathers together to worship him and to be his disciples and make disciples. So I I went there and I was reminded of this passage and I shared it with them because it's really something important for me to remember and for all of us to remember, I think, but really helped me as I made this trip because I always think to myself, God, what am I, how am I actually helping these people? I go there and I preach a message. I do that every Sunday. And I think to myself, am I really helping anybody? And so Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I read this for you before. We preached from it before, but I want to read it again. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of all that God has done in Christ, in view of all that Ted has been forgiven, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I thought to myself, God, what do I actually have to offer you and these people? Because everything I did while I was there was basically preach. That's what they want me to do. When I go to these places, we gather together, we share meals together, do all that kind of stuff, have 
conversations with the leadership of that place, but every day, from the day that I arrived to the day I, or not the day I left, but before the day I left, I was at a worship service somewhere doing exactly what we just did today. And I wonder myself, did I accomplish anything? And so as I was reading through that scripture, and I'm in, this isn't the church I was in when I was having this realization. It was a bamboo one. These people are gathered, and they're just going crazy. They're just hands up, worshiping and singing and praying. And I'm like, God, what am I doing here? And I read those words, and I'm thinking to myself, that's exactly all I have to offer to God in view of God's mercy because of what God has done. It's changed my life. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be standing up in front of you. And I said to God, all I have to offer you, God, is these words. And I preached the message. And my prayer was that the words I'm going to say to these people through translation, somehow God is my true and proper act of worship. Because I reminded them there, and I remind myself, and I remind you, that our true and proper act of worship is not coming here and singing and praying and hearing a message. It is an act of worship, but we're, what we're actually offering God is our lives. And so this idea of living sacrifice, when you think sacrifice, you think death. Something has to die. That's what happened in the Old Testament. That's what Paul is drawing off of. When we offer a pleasing sacrifice to God, our proper worship of offering a sacrifice to God was an unblemished lamb or some kind of unblemished animal. Your first fruits, the best of what you have. And you, you take it to the temple and it's killed and that's the offering to God. But Paul says living sacrifice. How the two go together. How can you have a living sacrifice Well, Jesus has paid that sacrifice for us. His death gives us life. And now all I, I don't have much, God, but what I'm going to offer you is my life. Here it is. Use it for you. And when I was in that church thinking about it and I shared with them, my willingness to say that to God has taken me all over the planet. I have been able to bear witness that this gospel is reaching the very ends of the earth because I was there. I was in that church and I worshiped with them. And I don't have much to offer, but here's some words that I think God's put on my heart and I pray the Holy Spirit uses in your life to help you. And I realize that's exactly what I do every single Sunday. I don't have much, God. Just some words that you put on my heart. Just a life that is trying to be invested in your lives as well. And it's not much, but I'm offering it to you. And God can do a lot with very little. All he's asking you is to offer your life back to him. And you'll be amazed what God can do. And I tell that story because that's exactly what this man did. When we think about disciple making, when we think about being disciples... This gentleman uh, is an elder in Reverend Jenga's church. And his family had some pretty great need for just food. They needed the food to live off of. And so 
the place that we were, this church that we're at, started because of him. He went to this area in Nepal outside of the city of Duran, like I said, like two hours, I can't remember how long it took us, rice fields as far as the eye can see, and he was able to purchase some land and start cultivating rice. That's why he went there. He went there to be able to cultivate rice, to grow rice, to harvest it, to take it back to his family and use it as food. But he's a follower of Jesus. He's a disciple. So he's out there every day being a farmer, cultivating the land and rice. And as he's out there, he's beginning to meet people. He starts talking to them about Jesus. And they're interested. They want to know more about this Jesus he's talking about. They're primarily Hindu. They don't know who Jesus is, really. So he's telling them these stories about this Jesus. And before you know it, this person comes to faith. They said, I want what you have. And they put their faith and trust in Jesus. And he, that's, he didn't go there as a missionary. He didn't go there as a pastor. He was just a guy who needed to provide for his family. He pretty much went there as a farmer. But he was a disciple. And he knew he was called to make disciples. And so there he is in that rice field, harvesting rice, talking to this person and that person, that person. The reason I went to that church, the reason I cut that ribbon is because of this man's faithfulness. His true and proper act of worship was offering his life back to God. And because he was willing to do that, there was a church in this village as a result of his faithfulness to God and sharing the gospel. That's what it means to be a disciple and a disciple maker. When we walk out of those doors, our mission field, when you leave this parking lot, maybe you never looked at the sign. You are now entering your mission field is what it says. In Nepal, that is just automatic when you're a follower of Jesus, when you become a part of the body of Christ. This story to me was exactly what we are disciple makers is all about. Now I pray God continues to call people into ministry, to serve him in pastoral ministry, as missionaries, as evangelists, as shepherd teachers. I pray that he does that. But being a disciple maker does not mean you have to do that. It simply means being faithful to that call. You're going to plant some rice in this field, harvest it, and before you know it, because you love Jesus and you want other people to know him, some guy from America comes to celebrate the body of Christ being in this rice field. That's what discipleship is. That's what disciple-making is. God has you places with people that I will never meet. And some of you will never meet, but you're there as his disciple. Not to be the pastor there, but to do your job faithfully. And in the midst of doing your job faithfully... You're offering your life back to God and saying, okay, God, use me in this situation. Use me in this person's life. You know there's people in your life that need Jesus desperately. Who's going to tell them about him? Who's going to introduce them to this man named Jesus who changed the world? This gentleman was in the midst of this rice field, not there to be a missionary or a pastor, but faithfully serve God through what he was doing. And now there's a church there. And fittingly, we had rice for lunch. 
That giant walk, it's hard to tell in that picture, but it's huge. Fed all of us there. There's probably like, I don't know, 70 of us there maybe, something like that. That giant walk fed all of us in. This uh, was pork curry and chicken curry. And if you ever go to that part of the world, you better like rice and you better like curry. Because that's what I had every single meal. And it is spicy, so you better also like some spice to it. Now, not all of it was, but it was, most of it was pretty spicy. And we shared in a meal together there as the body of Christ. We fed on Christ spiritually, and then we fed together physically. And God, provide for, God provided in this village for both of those things through the, that man's faithfulness. Here's just a village outside of town, walking down the road. And before you know it, I mean, you can see the way the houses are constructed there. Um, before you know it, you come upon this structure. This one was made of brick. The last one was made of tin. The next one you'll see is made of bamboo. And I cut a ribbon and we inaugurated another place on planet Earth where you can find the body of Christ represented. No, Jesus is not physically here, but he's there in that village in those people. And he's here in this town in us as well. And so I went into that church, and we worshiped again together. And here, just like every church in Nepal, you sit on the ground. So imagine me removing all of these pews. And when you walk in here, you get to take your shoes off, because everybody has to take their shoes off. So if you're weird about your feet, this would be a tough country to go to. But then you all sit on the ground. And, you know, you're in a service for an hour or so, maybe an hour and a half, depending if you were sitting that long, how many of you can sit Indian style and then we probably would have to get the security guys or some ushers to help you get up. And now we now we got a whole new job of things people got to do about help you get up. But that's what they do. They come in, they sit on the ground, we're just in this concrete or brick structure and we're singing and praising the same God you're singing and praising here is the same God we're singing and praising there. And in this village that you probably couldn't find on a map, there's God's people. And I said the same thing to them. I come from Schuylkill Haven. You probably couldn't find that on a map. But God's people are there, just like you're here. To the very ends of the earth, Jesus said, we are called to be disciples and disciple makers. And I did that very same thing. I opened up this word and I shared with them. And somehow said, God, just take those words and I'm offering them to you. And my prayer is when I leave that somehow God would have touched their hearts, encouraged them. They are doing some amazing things in very difficult areas to minister. And that's worth celebrating and reminding them, as I just, just reminded us, our true and proper act of worship is not held to a building. We were celebrating the fact that we are in a building. I inaugurated three churches. We cut the ribbon. We went into a structure. But I said, our worship doesn't just happen inside these four walls. It happens when we walk out there and we see people need to know Jesus. And they are faithfully doing that. That's why we planted three new churches and we inaugurated those churches. And they have 12 to 15 other fellowships. That's less than 15 baptized believers and as they grow, I'll probably be inaugurating some more churches in the country of Nepal. 
So he went from rice fields, flat, all you can see is rice fields, to this small village outside of town, and now we're on the side of a mountain, the side of a hill. And that's just a, a view as I was starting to come down, a picture. Th this area is actually a river. This is their dry season, so most of that is, is dry. There's not very much water in it, but that's from the hillside looking down onto the river. The road was super tiny. We're in this, I didn't take a, I think I have a picture of the car, but I don't have it up there. This car is super tiny, and we're driving up a mountain. So the kind of vehicle you take like a big 4x4 truck in is the kind of vehicle we need for driving up this mountain. And basically we're in like a Ford Escort or something like that. And there was a bridge we had to cross, and I'm thinking to myself, do I get out and just say, I'll walk across the bridge, you can drive across the bridge. I thought, no, I'll trust you, God. If it's my time, it's my time, we're going to drive across that bridge. Well, I took this picture because we made it. We made it across the bridge, and here we are. The side of a mountain, you wouldn't expect to see a church there, let alone people living there. There's a whole village there. And yet we're on this side of a hill, and we walk up to this structure. It's just, again, a temporary one, trying to raise money to build another one. The church is growing, and so they got to have a place to gather and be. And so they build this, hoping to build something else. But on the side of this hill, the side of this mountain, here I go, walking up to a church. The ends of the earth, you can find the body of Christ doing the same things, gathering together and worshiping. In view of God's great mercy. The reason they're there is because of God's great mercy shown to us in Christ. That's why they're there. That's why we gather together on a Sunday morning to celebrate what God has done in Christ. To hear from God in some way through his word that transcends time, transcends culture, transcends language. And is able to inspire us to continue to serve and live for him. And we were doing that in this bamboo structure that we called a church. Now it was a structure, whoa, that went really fast. It was a structure we call the church, but as we've talked about and we know here, the church is not the building. It's all of us. And so our true and, act and proper act of worship oftentimes and really needs to happen out there, as we are called to be disciples who make disciples. So I want to share this uh, final story about this trip of a gentleman, his name's Berna. Um, he is part of the EC Church of Nepal. This is his church. He's the pastor of it. Uh, we stopped there on our way back from the hill country and uh, just kind of sat around and had Coca-Cola because that's like the only thing cold there is you got to have a soda to get something cold. Uh, and he just sat around and talked and fellowshiped. And I had an opportunity to pray for him and his family. And he came to a service uh, that we had, the ordination service. And this is him. This is uh, Pastor Berna uh, right here. This is his wife. And they are recognizing their 50 years of marriage in this picture. But uh, at this service, we also kind of recommissioned him in the EC Church of Nepal. And so we prayed over him. And in Nepal, they do that kind of thing. After serving so many years, they 
just want to recognize and kind of affirm God's work in their life and all that He's been doing, celebrate that, and pray over them. That's what I did here. I met, I've been in Nepal three times now. I met him two other times and was with him in multiple places um, my trip this time. And I've never seen a guy smile so much in my life. He's a wonderful older guy to hang around. I have no clue what he's saying, but he's just a happy guy, and he's fun to be with. He laughs a lot at lots of different stuff. Like no one else in the church service is laughing, but he's laughing at something Jenga said or some translation that was made. And when I think about joy, I'm like, this guy has a lot of joy. He's been serving the Lord for a long time and is just filled with joy. And as I'm thinking about discipleship, I know David was talking about the cost of discipleship, what it means to follow Jesus. In Nepal, it is not illegal to be a Christian, but it is illegal to convert somebody to Christianity. So I wouldn't be able to go to the center square in Schuylkillhaven and preach share the gospel, and have somebody give their life to Jesus. That would be illegal. Converting somebody is illegal. Believing in Christ is not illegal. Now, you've got to be converted to believe, so I don't know how all of that works, but that just means there's going to be some difficulty if you convert from Hinduism to Christianity. There's plenty of stories of families disowning sons and daughters brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, because they believe in Jesus. Um, And that's just the price you pay. That's the cost of discipleship when you become a disciple of Jesus. And so there is persecution in Nepal. We didn't fear, and there's no fear of the government busting down the church door while we're doing our worship service. That doesn't necessarily happen. But when people come to faith in Christ, Some of their family might make false accusations about the church um, or about the person that brought that that person to faith. They might lie about it, and then the government comes and says, we're going to arrest you because you converted that person. Uh, So for Pastor Berna, that happened to him. He was arrested because some people became believers, and uh, some family members lied about how that happened. It was of their own will. They were not forced, but they say that the Christians are forcing them to believe. And so, uh, Pastor Berner was arrested. And so, when you're arrested, you just don't know what's going to happen. And so, in his arrest, they were persecuting him in different ways, giving him a hard time for believing. And uh, I don't know that there was lots of torture or anything like that when he was arrested, but... uh, when I left his church after we had prayed for them and we're on our way home, uh, Janga shared the story with me uh, about that arrest and what happened to him. And one of the things that took place in the midst of his arrest is uh, the guy that the couple of, of police officers arrested him and then the, the person in charge uh, actually urinated on him and in his mouth. They held his mouth open, and they urinated in his mouth, telling him that he should stop believing in Jesus, telling him that he should stop trying to convert other people to Jesus, and uh, took some abuse from the authorities because of his faith in Christ. And when I heard that story, 
The joy that I see on this man just became more real to me. You can read about the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. The natural outpouring of the Spirit's work in your life is one of joy. And I think to myself, experiencing what he experienced, the guy is always happy, he is always laughing, he is always smiling, and he went through quite a bit, all because he loved Jesus. That's crazy to me. Simply because I love this guy who says he's God in flesh and died for my sins and has forgiven me, that's what I have to experience? And yet he did. And you would not be able to tell the hardships that this man went through by hanging around him. And when I think joy, all I see is his face, smiling and laughing, and realizing this is what the Spirit of God does in a person's life. When Jesus transforms who you are, this is, is what is revealed to the world around you. He is still a pastor. He is still preaching in his village. There are still people coming to Christ. And eventually, that man that did that to him gave his life to Jesus as well. Through his faithful witness, his, he doesn't have much to offer. He says, God, in view of your great mercy, here's what I got. It's not much. It's my life, Lord. Take it and use it. And as a result of that, there were people in Nepal who were far from Jesus, now in His church, doing exactly what we did, praising and serving the Lord. It doesn't matter where we go on this planet. Jesus is there. On this hillside that you don't even think people live on, there's Jesus. In the rice paddies, as far as the eye can see, there's Jesus. In this small little town in Schuylkillhaven, there's Jesus. And He's lived out in us. So when I'm talking about being a disciple, that we are disciple makers, it is happening in Nepal. And it is growing in leaps and bounds. And it's not easy. You're talking about a Hindu religion. They know nothing about the gospel. They know nothing about the Bible. They know nothing about Jesus. And yet they're willing to give their lives to Him. There's somebody in your life that needs to know about Jesus. This picture is looking over the city of Duran. This is where Reverend Jenga lives. This is the city he is called to reach and really... He's been reaching the entire country. Now, we could go up on the cul-de-sac here and take a nice picture of the town of Schuylkillhaven. God's called us to reach this town. Maybe you live in Pottsville. Maybe you live in Deer Lake. Maybe you live in Orgsburg. God's called you to reach that town. Maybe you drive to work in Hershey or Reading or somewhere else. There's people there that God wants to use you to reach, and He doesn't need much Simply your willingness to say, here, God, whatever I got, I'm giving it back to you. Imagine if we all thought that way, if we all lived that out, the stuff God could do. We're working and living in a culture that desperately, desperately needs Jesus. I've got family members in my own family that desperately, desperately need Jesus. Maybe you do. Maybe you got that friend. 
Maybe you've got that coworker. We are disciple makers. God is calling us to do that in our own town, and He is certainly doing it to the ends of the earth. Jesus has the ability to transform people's lives. That's what He is in the business of. That's what we are in the business of. And so our true and proper act of worship is not just contained to this building, but it's poured out out there. And no, Jesus isn't physically here, but He is represented as the body of Christ, this image of of something very physical. Our bodies are very physical. That's who we are here, walking around, the body of Christ. We can never, ever lose sight of the fact that we are disciples who are called to make disciples. And that happens because we talk to that person that needs to know Him. We introduce Him to this man named Jesus and what He has done in view of God's great mercy, what He has done for us, that rather than having death, we have life. That great commission that Jesus gave is a commission to us. It might cost us something, but I want to remind you that is worth the cost. And there's somebody in your life Jesus is calling you to. May these Christians, those two stories, be examples and motivation to us to live our lives to honor Jesus and to be used by Him. Let's pray. Lord God, I am thankful for the faithful witness of these Christians in Nepal and for all that they are doing and just my opportunity to bear witness to that, Lord, and for me just to be inspired by the work that they're doing. They have so very little and they offer it back to you, Lord God. God, bless them, strengthen them, continue to help the gospel go forward there. God, here in this place, the town that I live in, God, help me to be faithful to you. Help me to be able to introduce others to who Jesus is. Lord, help us as the body of Christ be Jesus to the world around us. God, you don't need much, just our willingness to offer our lives back to you as a living sacrifice. That is our true and proper act of worship. And when we do that, we will see lives transformed because of what Jesus can do. We pray it in His name. Amen.